Hi friends, welcome to the Friends of France podcast. In this safe space, we are favored in each episode with the presence of an expert guest from different fields and specialties as we learn about their life journeys, their successes, possible regrets, and realizations, their work, why they do what they do, and even their life outside of work. In here, we tear down common myths and misinformation with up-to-date, evidence-based science and data simplified for anyone to digest. We don't shy away from topics that can sometimes be polarizing or taboo. We normalize the humanization of healthcare and its workers, and we promote the importance of self-care and safeguarding your mental health. Please keep in mind that the conversations in this podcast are for educational and informational purposes only. They are not implied or intended to be a substitute for professional medical diagnosis, advice, or treatment. Please always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare providers regarding a medical condition. Are you ready? Let's go! Hi everyone, happy Friday! Where has the time gone? Another episode for you this morning of the Friends of France podcast. And today, grab your popcorn, grab any other food that you have (laughs) near you, because we're going to be talking about all things food, specifically nutrition and dietetics. If you personally know me, you know that I love food. I just love to eat. Like, it's my favorite hobby. And sometimes I eat too much. Like, way too much and there were times in the past where i ate too little or sometimes not much at all especially in america and i think especially within my age group the topic of food and eating and nutrition is something that can be very controversial and very variable actually i don't know if it's just the ideals when it comes to food or physical aesthetics especially for sure social media and all of its implications on how we look and how it's tied to what we eat and what not to eat i was a victim before of all of those ideals and in this episode we talk a lot about that we talk about food accessibility to food the quote-unquote ideal nutrition if there is such a thing and different types of diets that people try to go through and participate in based on whatever goals they had for themselves whether it's to lose weight to change the way they look physically or to prevent chronic disease even. And our conversation in this podcast episode and our guests actually focus more on the latter parts of the story when it comes to food, when it comes to preventing the emergence or the complications of chronic disease, especially cardiology. As you all know, I'm a cardiac nurse and I work for the past six years in an interventional cardiology clinic where we also see general cardiology patients. And A lot of our patients really do suffer from heart attacks, strokes, coronary artery disease, those who needed to get cardiac surgery like coronary bypass grafts, and a lot of that circles around atherosclerosis, which is usually defined as the buildup of plaque, cholesterol, and other substances within the artery walls. And though atherosclerosis and other heart diseases are multifactorial, we cannot deny the fact, shown by real life and hard data, scientific data, and up-to-date research, that diet does play a really big role in that. The kind of diet that we have, the quality of diet we have, what we eat, what we don't eat. And that topic really circles our conversations today. Beyond talking about different diets, such as what is a heart-healthy diet? What is a Mediterranean diet? Does the ketogenic diet work? Actually, we talk about the harms of the diet. Does intermittent fasting work? Do you have to turn vegan or vegetarian to be nutritiously healthy? 
If you are vegan, how do you compensate for some vitamins that might be present in non-vegan ingredients? Today, I am so honored and excited to share that we will be joined by Michelle Rodenstein, a registered dietitian nutritionist, preventive cardiology nutritionist, and certified diabetes educator with over 10 years of experience in the field. She is the owner and president of Entirely Nourished, which is a nutrition counseling private practice focusing on chronic disease prevention and management, specializing in heart disease, heart attack, stroke, coronary bypass recipients, atrial fibrillation, heart failure, you name it. She was formerly the chief medical officer of Open Health and also the preventive cardiology specialist at Cardiatrics, and she currently stands as one of the Forbes Health Advisory Board members. I feel so honored to be joined by Michelle today to debunk all things diet, all things nutrition. We talk about how we can change our patterns of eating and the things we eat. We talk about blood test levels that we should be aware of and asking our doctors when we go to our visits when it comes to our general health. And lastly, we talk about how we can be happy with eating and that we can build a life where we are healthy and at the same time eat what we want to eat. Because life is short, right? YOLO, I'm about to have boba later. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's episode and thank you so much for tuning in. Let's go! <gasps> Hello! Well, how are I you doing? I'm good, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's nice to see you, and I'm excited for our conversation. Me too. Thank you so much for joining me in this space today. I keep I want to say tonight, but it's so bright outside still that it's still today. I mean, the sun doesn't set now until like eight o'clock or eight thirty yeah. or something, right? And the weather just keeps on getting better and better every day. Because I know you're in New York City too, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This space is just, you know, a casual space of getting people from different specialties and fields within healthcare and medicine to hopefully dispel some of the misinformation that we usually see online that I know you're aware of. So if you could just please introduce yourself to everybody. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you for having me. My name is Michelle Rothenstein. I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist who specializes in heart disease management and prevention through science-based nutrition. So the clients that I see in my private practice are individuals who've had heart attacks, who've had strokes, bypass surgeries, or who are at risk for strokes, heart attacks, bypass surgeries, or have a cardiac condition that requires science-based nutrition to help optimize it. So individuals who have atrial fibrillation, cardiomyopathy, heart failure, um, so on and so forth. Hey, yeah, and that's so exciting because I remember when we talked, um, for the first time, I said that I've been also working in cardiology for a while now. So I started a medical assistant and then I became a registered nurse also working within cardiac surgery, like bypass surgeries and also interventional cardiology. So I feel like your pool of people as well are quite similar to mine. And I think the topic of diet and nutrition is one that has a lot of confusion most of the time and i think it's one area where people are like oh i'm not sure what to do or what to eat what's right for me right and hoping that we could tackle all of those with your expertise and so i just wanted to ask what is the pathway of i guess education and training as well to become a registered dietitian yeah so registered dietitian a lot of times people use the word nutritionist and registered dietitian mm -hmm. they're actually two very different paths mm -hmm. So a nutritionist is really anybody who 
could say that, you know, they're teaching nutrition and that's it. So you don't really need a formal degree for it. A registered dietitian can be a registered dietitian nutritionist. So if they're registered, they're more seen by the board. So in order for our training, we had to do four years of undergrad to get our dietetic practice requirements. We had to apply for a residency within nutrition and then get a master's degree two years later. So it's about an eight-year experience in the hospital okay. setting. So I would rotate in the kidney clinic, in the heart clinic, in the weight loss clinic, you know, on every single floor of the hospital, inpatient and outpatient, in order to get my degree. And then you have to sit for a board exam. And then you have continuing educations to ensure that your certification is valid for that time period. So very similar to a physician, but a physician is more in the medical residency versus for a dietitian, you're in the dietetic residency, which is why there's so much more science-based nutrition and science background when it comes to a registered dietitian versus just a nutritionist who might have took a course or who can definitely help people, but not necessarily helping people in the chronic disease management standpoint and understanding the blood tests and ensuring that we're optimizing all risk factors for optimal health. Got it. That's amazing. And I just wanted to ask also, like, what was the inspiration to entering this field? Was there like a family member who was in dietetics or a friend or a personal experience? So I actually don't have like a, oh, this happened, (laughs) inspired me. Ever since I was a young kid, I've always wanted to be a doctor. And so I went to NYU in the pre-med track and in the nutrition track. And I had to choose. My dad was like, okay, you're a sophomore. You can't be taking pre-med classes and, you know, organic chemistry for nutrition. Like you're double dipping. They don't cross over. You have to take your own tracks and you're, you're taking a million courses. Why don't you choose? Because you have to go to your medical residency or your dietetic residency. So I was in the hospital setting and I was shadowing the clinical nutritionist in the ICU. And this 37 year old male had a bilateral amputation of his legs. And I was like, oh my God, he's so young. Like, how could this happen? And so I went and just talked with him because I was curious, you know, as as an intern would be in my schooling. And I was like, you know, I found out his history. He had diabetes, he had heart disease, he had kidney failure and all these issues. And he said to me, you know, I was told to take my medicine and that was it when it comes to diabetes. And I wasn't told anything about diet or lifestyle or nutrition. I was just told that if I take my medicine, I'll be okay. And that really struck a chord in me because in a lot of Western medicine, we're always there trying to treat, 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 treat. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about the prevention piece. And we don't talk about, even if you're on a slew of medication, if you don't optimize your lifestyle and nutrition, you're not going to manage your chronic condition optimally. And so this is where I decided to pivot and go straight into nutrition and really make an impact in terms of prevention and giving people better quality of life and giving them more energy and productivity and letting them do what they love to do with better health. And so that's kind of where I started. And then in my residency, I was everywhere. And I noticed the common pattern of, oh my God, heart disease is so prevalent. And when you look at the statistic, the number one killer is cardiovascular disease. And this really struck a chord in me also because we also know from the research that 80% of it is preventable through nutrition and lifestyle medicine. So where is this gap? And this is where I went on in the last you know, 15 years to really niche down into cardiology because we can prevent this. But people, A, don't know how the information is so skewed. There's so much out there that's actually misinformation. The science is very strong. I've seen the power of nutrition help with so many cardiovascular complications and prevention of them and increasing of longevity. And so 
that's kind of where I am staying and I really love it. And I have a big passion for it. But in my private clients, that's what I teach them how to use science-based nutrition mm-hmm. and personalize it for long-term implementation. Mm-hmm. But on my platforms, it's all about awareness. Yeah. A lot of times you go to the doctor's office and you wait for the doctor to call you. Everything's okay. See you in a year. I've heard that so many times. But when I look at my patients who've had heart attacks and just come to see me, they have so many abnormal lab parameters that they had no idea about. And so many red flags from before their heart attack. And I just want to be like, no, we could have prevented a lot of this. And so awareness is a key component Mm -hmm. And so I created this blood test course so people can be empowered, know your numbers, know what they need, ask questions, be your own advocate, because we can, the only way we can reduce this statistic and the number one killer globally is by everyone being their own advocate. I love physicians. I've worked with so many brilliant physicians. They're amazing. They have a very high caseload, and a lot of times they miss here and there, or they have to prioritize their list, and they might not be able to call you, or maybe they called you, or they had the wrong number, and they couldn't yeah. tell. And if you were asking or requesting that labs, and you were being proactive, you can therefore, you know, help prevent complications instead of putting it in someone else's hands. Yeah. Super agree with all of that. And I agree with your sentiment about Western medicine as well. And this is something that I also wanted to bring up too is, I know we talked about this previously as well, that despite the breadth and the depth of physician education here in America, at least, from what I hear, there's no block or unit dedicated solely to nutrition, right? I mean, even during nursing school, it was literally like a very basic, oh, here are your different vitamins and here are your different sources and that's it. And that's why also, I mean, when I go to my physician as well, yes, definitely diet and the lifestyle is touch upon, but there is that gap between that conversation, right? And that's why many patients are like, oh, so what do I look out for? What can I eat? Is there an ideal diet? Is there an ideal eating? And I love how you do that with, you know, people knowing the markers that they need to know, the blood test, the results, the values, and really that initiative really does make a big difference and that's something that i wanted to ask you too is in regards to what you said about this whole awareness and prevention you know we always say oh this is a modifiable risk factor this disease state oh this is easily preventable by this 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 or that despite the many genetic components do you believe that there is such thing as an ideal diet that the general population should follow as a guideline to be healthy or do you think it's very individualized i think it's very individualized because if we could say everyone needs to follow this (laughs) we would have cured a lot of chronic conditions so many publications, the Mediterranean diet, the vegetarian diet, the vegan diet, the issue is the interpretation of what that means. When someone comes to see me, people are on different diets. I've had people come on and see that they're vegans and they follow two very completely different diets. Mediter- mm-hmm. They're like, oh, I follow a Mediterranean lifestyle. Completely different diets. And you can have a heart healthy diet, no matter if you're a vegan, if you're a carnivore, mm-hmm. if you're an, whatever it might be. It's all about nutrient sufficiency. Mm-hmm. We've seen in research that actually there's been some studies that show that vegans can be an increased risk of stroke because if they're not getting B12, B6, riboflavin, or folate, what's going to happen? Their homocysteine levels will rise and that can cause plaque formation in the arteries. We know that plant-forward diet is so important, but there's so many different types of plants. And if someone's just eating one type of plant or they're restricting other ones and they're not getting enough folate or magnesium or manganese or calcium, 
so on and so forth, they're not going to necessarily optimize their blood vessel health. So from my standpoint, it needs to be sustainable. It needs to be adaptable. It needs to be personalized. But up most, it needs to be nutrient sufficient. You need to be having the amount of macronutrients and micronutrients you need for optimal cardiovascular health. If there's any diet that's removing a carbohydrate, removing a fat, removing a protein, you are going to be deficient and your body will not be able to operate. You have to look at the whole picture and the right amount of those nutrients for optimal heart health. And while a plant-forward diet is important, we also need to look at what plants are we consuming? Is there enough nitric oxide? Is there enough folate? Is there enough glutathione production? There's a lot of pathways our body needs in order to address the underlying root causes. So I don't preach that everyone needs to follow a vegan or a vegetarian diet because I've seen in my practice that many people can't sustain a vegan diet for a long period of time. What also happens is sometimes it can be a very carbohydrate-heavy diet. What happens is triglycerides and insulin resistance increases. And so we need to look at the whole picture. Especially, I've seen a lot of my male clients will come to me and say, you know, my doctor told me to go vegan. They're six feet tall. And they're not satisfied with a vegan diet. They're just not. And so it's not sustainable for them. So I've had people be very successful on a vegan diet and I support them. I just make sure they're getting all the nutrients and the supplements that they need because you do need to supplement on a vegan diet. But I'm not an advocate of everyone needs to follow one path because it really doesn't work. My success rate in my private practice is so high because I take the science, I take the person's lifestyle and I adapt it into one. I have a lot of clients, for instance, who are South Asians. The risk of cardiovascular disease in South Asians are higher. Within South Asian, like the cuisine, you can't tell someone to change their culture and eat something else. Yeah. Not So adapting and making sure that we're taking what their traditional foods are and Mm -hmm. then optimizing them for heart health is really the cornerstone. I always tell my clients, if you feel that you can't do this in six months from now, then we shouldn't even do it now. There's no point. We need to create habits that will last for a lifetime. We can't create these wants or wishes and try going from zero to a hundred because you'll crash. We don't want to crash. We want the diet to be sustainable and long-term. And I don't like to use the word diet because it's usually meant for like caloric deficit. These are not what we focus on with cardiovascular health because when we focus on calories, most of the time we become nutrient deficient. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people need to lose weight for cardiovascular health. But I'll tell you this, and this is so important for everyone to know, you can have heart disease and be underweight, normal weight, overweight, or obese. Weight is one risk factor. And Mm -hmm. we need to get blindsided. And I've seen so many physicians say, if you just lose weight, your blood pressure will come down, your cholesterol will come down, this will come down. And then people- Hell, I've lost 30 pounds and my cholesterol went up, my yeah. blood pressure went up. And I'm like, yeah, because if you don't add the therapeutic foods yeah. in and yeah. you're just focused on caloric deprivation, you're not doing justice to your cardiovascular system. And yeah. so it's important that we're looking at the whole picture and looking mm-hmm. at it from a sustainability standpoint versus I want to get my numbers to be normal overnight. Yeah. You will see results in three to four months. But yeah. the didn't happen in a week so don't expect all of a sudden it's change usually there's other things involved usually there's gut health involved there's Mm -hmm. mechanisms that we need to address in order for those values to be optimized 
All throughout high school and bouts of college, I suffered from severe acne. I cried almost every day looking at the mirror. I wore hoodies during the summer to hide my cheeks. When my mom asked me what I wanted for my birthday, all I wished for was a visit to the dermatologist. I tried so many products and saw so many estheticians, physicians, and other advanced providers. But I know that my mere access to these products and providers is a privilege. Many who suffer from acne and other skin conditions live in many underserved populations where access to dermatology specialists can be difficult due to limited resources. To help bridge this divide, Vanna Padilla, a dermatology nurse practitioner, recently launched Your Skincare Experts Derm Course, which can allow other specialties to provide comprehensive care to patients through dermatology in places where access may be limited. The course can also be used to help better train extended providers within the field of dermatology to feel confident and empowered in their knowledge. From fortifying skin anatomy to identifying skin types and concerns, breaking down acne, building skincare routines, and going over active ingredients, the course seeks to further knowledge on skincare, anti-aging, acne, and overall holistic skin health. Friends of France is partnering with Your Skincare Expert so that you can get 10% of the course with the code FRANZ, that's F-R-A-N-Z, or visit yourskincareexpert.com slash my skin and my life were changed by the right products and the right people. Through this course, I hope that this would also be made possible for others. Anyone who knows me knows that I love boba. After a heavy dinner? No problem. I have a second stomach for boba, and sometimes even a third. But each cup of bubble tea is definitely a guilty pleasure, given that the average cafe-made milk tea has over 100 calories per serving, over 20 grams of high glycemic sugar, and is packed with artificial flavors. I am so glad that the guilty days are over with Twirl, the world's first canned, plant-based milk tea, with only 45 to 50 calories per serving, and containing 6 to 7 grams of sugar, and low glycemic sweeteners at that, goodbye to sugar crash, Twirl is made with pea milk, the most sustainable plant-based milk on the market, regenerating the soil where it comes from. This is thanks to the fact that fair trade and organic are the names of the game, as the teas are sourced from biodiverse family farms in China, Japan, and Taiwan that practice sustainable farming techniques. No artificial flavors are ever used. Choose from three antioxidant flavors of the chocolatey Taiwan-style black milk tea, floral jasmine, and nutty hojicha. Enjoy all of these flavors, each being nitro-infused that you can feel and hear their fresh, silky, and creamy texture with each pop of the can. Let's enjoy tasty, creamy, shelf-stable, and healthy milk tea together for 10% off using the code FRANZ10. That's F-R-A-N-Z-1-0. Now available on twirlmilktea.com or Amazon. Twirl around in its goodness. But aside from sustainability too, and the optimization of eating, I think a big factor also in accessing this is the actual access to these types of food, right? I talked to many cardiologists and they've always said that, you know, socioeconomic status is a huge factor in this. Like, yes, this is probably much healthier. Yes, this is much more nutritious, but the price point might be different compared to a, you know, a $2 cheeseburger or whatnot. So as a dietitian and as someone who, you know, educates people in this matter, how can one person balance that, you know, that price point of food and also still getting all those nutrients and vitamins that they need. Yeah. I mean, I think a big part of it is everyone thinks you're going to do this overnight. Yeah. yeah. If you were to go to the grocery store and now buy a whole new pantry and a whole new refrigerator, it's going to be costly. But I remember specifically in my NYU training that we had to do a project 
of, you know, we were on foods. We had to pretend we were on food stamps and we had to go to the grocery store and we all had chronic conditions. I was picked a heart healthy kidney diet, which is very difficult in terms of finding the appropriate foods because I was to pretend that I had high potassium levels and high phosphorus levels and how to manage all of that. And I have to say, I actually saved a couple of dollars just calculating. Mm-hmm. But I would always say, don't overhaul everything at once. Right away, yeah. One thing, that's going to be helpful. If you, for instance, look at the balance of your meal, and let's say, okay, the fast food cheeseburger is more convenient. Okay, but we can get it with the apple slices. We can yeah. get and buy little baby carrots. We can do things and make it work for what we have and where we're located and what's accessible to us. I think a lot of times we think of, okay, if I have to do all this. I need to buy all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Get it. yeah, it it does get expensive when you buy it all at once. But yeah. if you start realizing what small changes you can make within your budget, mm-hmm. you'll realize that a lot of it isn't that expensive. If you buy vegan alternatives of plant-based protein, yeah, that's going to be expensive. But no one said that you needed to do that. Actually, in fact, detrimental to heart health. So Mm -hmm. we need to refocus on what are we consuming? What are we considering? And being on the lookout for that. When you go to the grocery store or whatever's available to you, you can choose the sale items. You do not need Mm -hmm. to get specific of certain things. You can make it work. But choose one thing at a time especially yeah. concerned to you to get to your goal. I feel like that's not very accurate. I mean, I, the other thing, the, the thing that drives me nuts is when physicians tell me that patients are non-compliant. Patients yeah. are not compliant. Patients need education. They need help. They need guidance. They need support. They need tools. And I know you touched upon this before. And while um, doctors don't have nutrition expertise in their training, that's okay. But we need to be able to refer to people who do. So you can say, like, I don't have medical training. I never tell my clients, get off this medication. It's yeah. not, not my scope of practice. If a person needs to get their medication adjusted because it's too low on their lab test or their blood pressure is too low or it's trending in the right direction, we speak with the physician and the physician adjusts it. But that is a physician scope of practice. That's yeah. a medical treatment, right? Yeah. I don't prescribe medicine. I don't do any of that. It's not my scope of practice. In the same realm, that physicians don't have that knowledge, but they need to be able to say, here is somebody who does, who can yeah. help. And that, that's an important component to recognize. Yeah. I think we have this thought process that doctors should know everything. They know so much and they have so they can't know everything, right? Yeah. And so I think we need to take that step back of being like, okay, well, then I need to seek additional help if I need additional support. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean... I feel like one, yes, that mindset comes from, oh, I feel like I had to change my whole refrigerator, you know, the concept of refrigerator overnight. And also at the same time, I feel like people do expect physicians to be harbingers of like total information when that's why we have the field of nutrition, right? That's existing of dietetics, right? And, you know, and I wanted to tag along with what you said within what you mentioned about your scope of practice and with the medications. Now, we said that people's eating habits and what we consume and what we bring into our bodies has a 
very high chance of preventing some of the chronic disease that we do see, right? Especially within the world of cardiology. And I wanted to touch upon that. I believe May is Stroke Awareness Month, right? And I think it's also Blood Pressure Awareness Month as well. And so May is... <laughs> world Hypertension Day. Yeah, World Hypertension Day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it was just right. And... I wanted to bring that along in conjunction with what you were talking about with medications. Given that the idea of healthy eating is one of those modifiable risk factors that we always say, you know, textbook definition within heart disease, do you think medications and diet go hand in hand or people have the potential to get off medications if their diet or their eating is actually optimal for, you know, their concerns? Yeah. So I've seen, like I mentioned before, I do not adjust medications, yeah. but in private practice, I've seen people get off their blood pressure medication. I've seen people get off their heart their medication, which surprised me. I get surprised with my clients every day. I promise you. I'm like, oh my God, that happened. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> um, they get off their cholesterol medications, but they don't do it right away. So they might start off on a statin or a blood pressure medication mm-hmm. and we, we work together. And then after, depending on a blood pressure medication, I've seen it in two weeks, it's been reduced. And then in a month, it's discontinued. We don't want blood pressure to be too low. That means that our body's not getting enough oxygen, right? We need mm-hmm. to be in that optimal range of 120 over 80 or one over 70. But with cholesterol medications, I've seen, we don't want that number to be too low either. I've seen LDL get down to 20, 15. And so the doctor will discontinue them after a cardiovascular event, which is usually not really heard of, but with power of nutrition, I mean, with the power of science-based nutrition. And I think a lot of people get confused with what that means. So A, it's very research-based, but the way I work in cardiovascular disease is it's not just that, oh, I eat healthy. I think everyone tells me they eat healthy when they come to see me, except for like maybe eight out of 10 people say they eat a healthy come to see me. It's about your blood vessels. So we need to optimize your blood vessel health. What does that mean? When you have cholesterol, you're having buildup in your arteries. When you have high blood sugar levels, when you have high triglycerides, you're having substances in the blood vessel that's not supposed to be there. So when that happens and you pair that with inflammation and oxidative stress, these substances, these cellular waste, these calcium become oxidized. And that turns into plaque formation, which narrows and thickens the arteries and makes the heart have to work harder to pump blood throughout the body. When you have high blood pressure, your arteries are constricted. High blood pressure and high cholesterol actually go hand in hand. Most people who have high cholesterol will develop high blood pressure or have it and vice versa because we're all in the blood vessel. So we need to optimize blood vessel health. And when we do that, which means we help vascular tone, we help open up our arteries, allowing for good blood flow. We help with heartbeat regularities, which helps with blood flow and avoid that blood pooling in the artery, in the heart too, that can lead to blood clots. When we do all of those things, our heart is working better. And when our heart works better, it doesn't need these medications that are trying to reduce the stress on our heart. So yes, you can reduce your medication. You can eliminate your medication, but it depends on the person and it depends on what stage of which cardiovascular condition you are currently in. So I would never tell you get rid of your medications. I'm a big advocate of be prescribed your medications. Let's work on nutrition and lifestyle. And you might notice that with all of that long-term implementation, your doctor will decrease your medications as a result because your heart is working better. And that's what we strive to do. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, you know, 
like we said earlier as well, it's the world of medicine is flooded with numbers, right? These are blood pressures. These are triglyceride levels. You know, your LDL, your HDL, your sodium, this, 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 and that. In your instruction of, oh, let's look at these lab values. Let's be aware of what our normal are. And if it's out of balance, you know, that sense of initiative that, oh, what can I do about this value, right? For you, what are the values that you most look into from a panel? Yeah. So I look at the metabolic profiles. Mm. We want to make sure that we're looking at your kidney health, your thyroid, your liver, just your electrolyte balance. We want to look at your urinalysis. I also look at inflammatory markers. I like looking at a lot of advanced lipid protein levels, if that's <laughs> because it helps us tell us the atherogenesis of it, meaning how atherogenic they are, whether they're small and dense or whether they're large and buoyant. If they're small and dense, they're more likely to penetrate through that arterial wall, causing that plaque formation. I like to look at insulin-resistant factors, so factors before hemoglobin A1C, before glucose. Um, and I review all this in my blood test course because I want you to understand what I look at. But we have to look at all of these things. And within inflammation, there are a lot of inflammatory markers that aren't necessarily known as inflammatory markers, but they are contributors to the inflammatory process. So I look at all of that information because it tells me a lot of where are we really focusing on in order to optimize your heart health and your blood vessel health and really reduce your risk factors. We also need to look at your lipoprotein A, which is your genetic risk for atherosclerosis. The reason being is that in many studies, when we look at individuals who have premature and early heart attacks, all of their numbers, lipoprotein levels were elevated. And so if we can detect that earlier before a cardiovascular event happens, we're able to be more proactive in risk management stratification. And what this means is not just like, oh, blood, my blood pressure, my cholesterol, everything's fine. We take it to another advanced level to really ensure that that plaque formation is stabilized and not mm -hmm. being promoted and causing any issues. Yeah, and when it comes to, you know, like A levels and all the triglyceride levels and all the cholesterol levels in the lipid panel, one question that was submitted very frequently the past few weeks since I started promoting our live is the ketogenic diet. We have seen it in the waves throughout social media, in the news, all over YouTube, alongside intermittent fasting plus ketogenic diet, which uh, for those who are not aware, it's a very high fat diet, right? And mid-level of proteins as well, and very, very minimal carbohydrates, if I'm not mistaken. As someone who has seen people's blood levels, IPA levels, and, you know, what they eat and cardiovascular disease, what is your take on the ketogenic diet? Um, so keto diet, so it's important we differentiate this. There's a lot of like keto renditions yeah. of the diet, but true ketogenic diet by definition is causing your body to go into ketosis. Mm -hmm. So it's using fat as the primary fuel. The reason why you're, it becomes ketosis is because your brain requires carbohydrates as the primary fuel for energy. And so our bodies need to, whatever we're consuming, needs to break that down in order for our brain to work, which is why if you've ever been on the keto diet, the first two weeks, you're kind of in a keto flu. You're foggy, you're irritable. It's because your, your brain's not getting the energy it needs. You're, and so, and that's a sign first. It's a survival mechanism. 
maximum. It's not meant for a long-term survival. So we're in a very, very low carbohydrate consumption in order to allow our body to go into ketosis. And when we look at the research, we're really looking at this from a standpoint of epilepsy. It's really helpful in children who have epilepsy to go on the ketogenic diet. When it comes to cardiovascular health, when this diet first came out, someone sent me their blood work and was like, I don't know what happened. Look at this. I've never seen such high cholesterol levels in my life, in my life. And I've been seeing a lot of patients. I was like, oh my God, what diet is this person? <laughs> that was one red flag. But if you look in even more, the keto diet presents a lot of nutritional deficiency. It causes mm -hmm. constipation. Constipation is an integral component to cardiovascular health. If you aren't going to the bathroom and excreting stool regularly, guess what? Your cholesterol is staying in your body. Your triglycerides are staying in your body. Your arteries are getting stuck with all that junk inside. So if a side effect of a diet is a constipation, that is a huge red flag. It, but, but ultimately, you're getting nutrient deficiencies. And another thing that happens is people who follow the keto diet have high levels of TMAO. And when you have high levels of TMAO in your system, that promotes cardiovascular disease, cancer, and brain damage. And so we don't want that. And so we need to look at that from, from another perspective, too. So if we're looking at it from the true sense of a keto diet, I do not endorse it at any means for a heart healthy diet to kind of look at it the other way. It doesn't mean that we need to eliminate fat. Healthy, heart healthy fat is an important component to cardiovascular health, but to shift it to that much fat and reduce our fiberful foods, that is going to an extreme our body cannot handle and our cardiovascular health is not going to benefit from it either. Yeah, we had a patient come in before for a heart attack and oh my gosh, the the triglyceride levels and the cholesterol levels and he's like new into the ketogenic diet and it's like oh my goodness we can't believe this number yeah so it's and i think it's also one of those things online i mean there's a lot of them right and i feel like there's a different diet that i see online every single week and it's just a variations of it and i mean sad to say a lot of times it's promoted by you know, big followed influencers online and especially within the younger community where they're like, oh, I can achieve this body by um, following this diet that they're promoting, right? And I think it's one of the last few questions that I have is as someone who gives science-based education on nutrition online, is there a top one or top two most erroneous information about nutrition or diet that you have seen? either recently or since you've been on? I really, I mean, that's a good question. What's the weirdest thing I've seen? I mean, I've seen pretty interesting things. Yeah. I think it's just like when we look at extremes, right? Yeah. Like thinking about the whole macronutrient is absurd. I understand the necessity of people wanting a quick fix, but there really is no quick fix in lifestyle medicine. And we really need to get we need to get to that understanding. There's no magic pill. There's no supplement that's going to cure cardiovascular disease. And we have to put in a little bit of work in order to maintain a, a healthy lifestyle. That's really the truth. And so I think a lot of times people, everyone always wants a quick fix. And I see a lot of people who've been chronically dieting for so many years. And they're like, fine, Michelle, I'm finally ready to <laughs> not diet, do on these diets. Anymore. And they ruin their metabolism. And yeah. so this 
me trying to get their metabolic rate up and running to facilitate one of their goals of weight loss and just good metabolic health. And so I really urge everyone to take a stance back and really assess, like, does this make sense before you just go on another, you know, journey that might put you in a bad spot? I also think it's important to kind of refocus on the fact that we want to look at nutrient sufficiency and not caloric deprivation. Um, <laughs> want to go in long-term starvation modes. I know that intermittent right. fasting is a big trend right now, but from a cardiovascular standpoint, I've seen people who have a two-hour window of eating. I'm like, what do you do during those two hours? Like, just scarf down food? I like, used to do that <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah. But, but, but think about that. Like, take a step back for a second. If you're only eating for two hours, A, how are you going to get all the nutrients your body needs to thrive? Not going to. B, you're going to be like trying to eat so much during that time period because that's what you're told to eat. So A, you're not listening to your hunger skills. You're not listening to your metabolic health. You're ruining your metabolism. But think about it from another standpoint. You're telling your body, digest all this food. It's like, ah. And so it's an increase in metabolic load. And when you have an increase in metabolic load, what happens? Your body can't digest it. So your triglycerides increase, your blood pressure increase, your heart rate increases, your blood sugar increases, all of the things you're trying to prevent. Yeah. And you're putting a stress on your body during those two hours, and that's not healthy either. So yeah. I'm okay with a standard fast of 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., you know, especially at night. Let your body rest a little bit. Your insulin doesn't work as well at night. I'm fine with that. But when you start ignoring hunger signals, when you start being very like, oh my God, I can't eat anything until 12. And then at 12 o'clock, you're starving yeah. to your body and your body is the biggest tool to tell you what you need. And yeah. so another thing I teach my clients, we need to understand our own bodies. And if I tell you to eat a food, but it causes heartburn or indigestion or bloating or anything like that. It's not agreeing with you. Let's get rid of it and add another food that has the same nutrients that will get you to your goal. And so we need to personalize, but really be intuitive. You know, as babies, I have three kids and like my kids are very in tune with when they're hungry, when they're full, all of and we lose that. We lose routine. We lose all of the things that, th that make kids thrive. Yeah. And, and a lot of that is, we need to get back to some of that basic in order to, you know, give ourselves the care we need for optimal heart health. As someone with acne and blemish-prone skin, facial scarring and hyperpigmentation have always been my issues since high school. Acne has robbed me of my self-confidence throughout my schooling years, and having its visible reminders in my face to this day continues to do so. But I have found silver linings of hope having used RescueMD's DNA Repair Complex Serum. Plastic surgeon developed, RescueMD seeks to harness the powers of science and two decades of patient experience in providing a multi-benefit skin renewal serum that provides real results and improves the appearance of visible skin damage. Beyond my personal skin concerns, the serum also seeks to adjust a breadth of damage from varying external stressors, including hypertrophic and surgery scars, burns and chemical burns, cuts, scrapes, and bug bites. All of these are targeted by supporting the skin's natural healing process through its infusion with RescueMD's patented LabCall, a proprietary anti-inflammatory skincare technology that targets skin damage at the DNA level. 
The serum also contains a hand-selected blend of other ingredients such as peptides to help strengthen the skin, botanicals like rosehip to soothe, and moisturizing agents such as dimethicone and allantoin that helps to speed up skin recovery. The DNA Repair Complex Serum has been my daily friend, and every day, I feel like I can take back what my scars have stolen from me. Definitely, each skin is different and results are not guaranteed, but I hope that you can find your silver lining too. In partnership with RescueMD, you can get 15% off your order on rescuemd.com with the code FOF15. The serum is also now available on bloomingdales.com. Discover what healthy skin healing means with RescueMD. Growing up with my mom, who has been a nurse for the past 30 years, I would always take an adventure in her bookshelf filled with nursing and medical textbooks, encyclopedias, and various human anatomy posters. I still remember perusing through an encyclopedia as a six-year-old, trying to look for pictures of eyes and muscles, attempting to pronounce their lengthy names since I could not really understand explanations about the different body parts. Despite the myriad of children's books with topics ranging from magical universities to talking animals and the different types of rocks, there weren't really any books in the workings of the human body when I was a child. For children, written by physicians, Dr. Betty and Dr. Brandon, the Medical School for Kids book series now provides a charming, easy-to-understand introduction to the wonders of the medical field. These books feature beautiful illustrations and simple explanations, teaching children and adults alike about the anatomy, physiology, and diseases of the body. From distinguishing a normal mole from melanoma, to discovering the importance of eating healthy food for heart health, to knowing the vital signs that are monitored in the operating room, people of all ages can truly learn something new through these books, as they are designed to teach real medical concepts to readers of all ages in ways that anyone can understand. Take an educational adventure into the intricacies of every organ system of the human body. Paperback copies of the books are available for purchase on Amazon.com and eligible for two-day Prime delivery. Kindle versions of the books are also available on Amazon and free with Kindle Unlimited. You can also visit the website md4kids.org for more information. Get ready for an adventure on the medical school bus! I fell into a very dangerous eating habit long time ago, and I was one of those people who would eat like only within a two or three hour window. And you know, I, I feel like the mindset was, oh, I want to be healthy. When in the hindsight, you don't know that this is the unhealthiest thing ever. And it really translated in like my whole body. Like I was losing hair. I was always sluggish. Like my blood pressure shot up. Oh. And it's definitely one of those things that I also saw online. I was like, oh, this worked for them. It might work for me. And so I think I wanted to also close it along with this is, so where should people get the information? I mean, definitely we can get, you know, great information from our physicians. But again, tying it back to, you know, the whole nutrition talk, the whole dietetics talk, where are the credible information that people can look out for and access to find out that, oh, this is, uh, you know, the foods that I need to eat. And I guess I'll tie that into to a closing thing of, if let's say I have a plate in front of me and you want to label that plate a heart healthy plate for you, what would be on that plate? Yeah. So in terms of the resources, it really depends on what cardiovascular event you have. Mm -hmm. So if you have a familiar hypercholesterolemia, the FH has a good, a lot of resources there. Um, if you have heart failure, you might want to check the Heart Failure Society. So it really depends on those. But you always want to make sure that it's coming from a credible source and a science-based nutrition source. In terms of nutrition dietetics, 
as a field, the more, you know, on my niche and my specialty is cardiovascular disease. If someone comes to me and says, oh, I have Crohn's and I need help with that, I refer them to another dietitian. So it's important that if you're seeking individualized and additional support as needed, that you go to a registered dietitian who specializes in what you're seeking. Because you can't know everything. And when you know one thing, you know it really good and you have really good success. But if you're a generalist, you kind of pick and choose kind of different topics. It's more of a general healthy diet and not really looking at the exact thing that we're trying to optimize. So those are the two things there. I have to pick my favorite, my, my own plate. Mm. <laughs> That's a hard one. I So I love food and I hate when people tell me that a heart healthy diet is bland and boring. It's like, no, no, no. Like I have people who, who when I send their meal plans, they're like, oh my God, Michelle, I thought like... <laughs> okay and then I made it it is amazing how did like with all these flavors and stuff I was like and I was like yeah and I'm a very like in and out of the kitchen I only can spend like 10-15 minutes at a time in the kitchen or else I just (laughs) with kids it's like okay what can yeah I would say my favorite meal that's hard one so I love sheet pans Mm -hmm. um recently I did like a roasted chickpea asparagus portobello mushroom and tomato sheet pan over barley. I don't know. I'm into barley these days. And I made this like garlic tahini dressing on top and it was amazing. I've also done like, I like to kind of experiment with like wild salmon in a can or like just different like tofu and chickpeas and all these different like burgers. So I made this really delicious edamame burger recently. That was really easy. Mm. Um, Literally like blend, put Mm -hmm. it in Body, stick it in the oven, done. Um, I've also made these really good, like cauliflower spinach turkey burgers that are literally two minutes. My kids help me make them. Like, I'm very big about quick, easy, and delicious, but make sure getting in all of those good nutrients that our body needs in order for it to optimally thrive. Yeah, that, that sounds amazing. Now I'm hungry now. And, you know, thank you so much. I, I learned a lot. And as I pose this after, I know many people will learn a lot too. Like I said earlier, this field is one where we look to so many sources, right? Because we don't really know what's good to eat. What can I eat? Like, like, like you said, it's, oh, it has to be bland. It has to be this. It has to be that. So as someone who has seen all of the numbers as someone who has seen people on medication get out of medications with normalized glucose levels and normalized blood pressures if there's one last bit of message or advice you would give to one person who's struggling and trying to find the healthy eating for them what would that last message be first off i always like to say your prevention and your heart health is where you are in that current state. I have people who come to me and say, you know, I already had bypass surgery. I already had all this. Is this going to help? The resounding answer is yes, because if you have bypass surgery. You want to keep that stent open. You still want to have good blood flow. You want to prevent more plaque. You want to make sure your heart is working optimally. And so wherever you are in your journey, you can make improvements today that will only benefit you and your quality of life going forward. So I want to just put that out there because a lot of times people think, oh, it's too late. And then it's also never too early to start. We see atherosclerosis in eight-year-olds. 
So please use this to teach your family, to bring them up on good nutrition, and to teach them to be curious about food and to be involved in food. So no matter young, old, middle age, you can take care of your heart health today to really prevent and reduce your risk of cardiovascular events in the future. That's one. And then when you're struggling, I know it's overwhelming. And so I like to take the overwhelm away. So maybe today you just focus on breakfast. Maybe you just focus on lunch. Maybe you just pick one meal to make a little bit better. Or maybe you don't even focus on nutrition, but you focus on the supporting pillars that make nutrition successful. So maybe you look at hydration or sleep or stress or physical movement and you start to improve those this week and you just choose one or two goals and every two weeks you add another. And before you know it, you're really becoming more mindful of your journey and you're able to make long-term changes. So take away the overwhelm. I know that it's scary. I know that it's a lot of anxiety around the diagnosis. But be empowered to do one to two things today and really have that mindset that you're in control of your health and look at it from that perspective versus, oh my God, I have to do all these things and I don't like this and I don't like that. It can be overwhelming. Or if you don't cook and you are eating at restaurants, you can still make some changes to help. And I think that that's really what I like to leave with you guys here. I wanted this to empower you. I know with heart disease, there's a lot of scary numbers, family history, a lot of things that are just outright overwhelming and scary. I want you to take empowerment of your health and seek, ask questions, talk to your physician, talk to your healthcare team, speak with a dietitian who specializes in cardiovascular disease. Do what you need to get yourself in the right mindset and the right headspace to build confidence around nutrition and your, your choices so that you can live confidently, but also really reduce your risk of heart disease. Those are also beautiful and so empowering. Michelle, thank you so much for Joining me today, it was such a pleasure, <laughs> such an honor. I, you know, since I started this series last year, I've always, always, always wanted to have a nutritionist on or a dietitian on because, you know, most of my guests have been physicians, uh, obviously, and, you know, from different fields and each time knowing someone who works in cardiology, knowing how much diet is such a big factor. And I always ask that question and they'll always tell me, oh, you should ask a dietitian. You should ask a dietitian. And it's true because this is your expertise. This is your training, your education. And I'm just so honored that you are able to share your training, your wisdom, and your words of encouragement to me and to everybody. So Michelle, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. We have now reached the end of the story. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Friends of France. I hope you had an enjoyable adventure learning about our expert guests, their work, and why they do the things that they do. Please check out the rest of the series available on all podcast platforms. Please also consider following the podcast on the platform that you prefer. Turn on the alerts for new episodes so you don't miss new stories. And give us a rating to support the show. You can find more updates on the podcast's official Instagram at Friends of France Pod or my personal Instagram at Chris Franz. That's without the I because there is no I in team. <laughs> I'm kidding. Someone already took the username. Have a great day or night, everybody.